The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hello, everybody. Hello, this is Lori Schwartz, your tech cat, coming to you with tech trends impacting your business. And it is back to the future day in the world today, celebrating uh, many years of that fabulous movie, Back to the Future, and so many trends that uh, were showcased in that movie are coming true. And we're going to um, talk about some of these trends today as it relates to entertainment. We have the fabulous Kevin Beggs today, who is a 16-year veteran of Lionsgate, and he is the chairman of Lionsgate's television group, overseeing development and production of scripted and non-scripted and all the various platforms. And he's going to share with us really what he's doing at Lionsgate. So let's have a big digital welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for Kevin Beggs. Thank you. Fantastic. So, yeah. so Kevin, how are you doing there? You're, uh, you're based in, um, is it Century City? Santa Monica. Thank you. Doing Santa- great. Great to talk to you. And um, we're very excited to have you today on this Back to the Future Day. Tell us all about what you're doing at Lionsgate and really who Lionsgate is, because you you hear the name Lionsgate, but it's not always clear if it's a production company, a corporation. So give us the the insight into into who you are. Well, Lionsgate is a um, publicly traded entertainment studio. It's about 17 years old. Uh, It is known for its feature films, which include big franchises like Twilight and The Hunger Games and Divergent, as well as its television shows, some of which include Mad Men and Weeds and Nashville and Nurse Jackie and Orange is the New Black and many others. Uh, And we also have a very robust home entertainment and digital media business uh, and investments in a number of channels, including Epics, which is a paid channel that we co-own with Paramount, Flash Viacom, and MGM, and Pop Network, formerly TV Guide Network, that we co-own with CBS. And uh, we distribute and produce uh, our, our own original content, sell it around the world, both in, in theaters and on TV screens and on devices worldwide. And we have been known in the TV business and the part that I'm involved with primarily as innovators that have launched new networks or put impactful shows on networks that have been rebranding or changing direction and in so doing have tried to kind of tried to kind of integrally uh, link ourselves with those networks and shows so Mad Men maybe is one of the better examples which really put AMC on the scene as an originals uh, destination it had originally it had for years been a, a, a network of reruns great western movies some horror movies classics American Movie Classics was the name, and they moved into originals with Mad Men followed by Breaking Bad, and now, of course, have both Walking Dead franchises and a lot of other shows, and, you know, completely changed 
the composition of their network and their sister networks and, and then went public uh, at a very high valuation and have really become, you know, a, a huge success in the original content platform business. With Netflix, we brought Orange is the New Black to them not long after they announced House of Cards. Both shows have done really well for us and them um, and, and so on. So that, that, that's been a little bit of our legacy and we, and we do that. So we, um, a fair amount of streaming business, but it's primarily been premium and high-end cable with the exception of Nashville that we do for ABC, which has been a great broadcast show for us. But our brand, if you were going to talk about it in the, in the original space, is, is generally left of center, noisy, uh, working with really interesting, innovative showrunners that you know would be probably not so comfortable in the procedural crime arena that most broadcast networks have found success in. Ours are a different kind of storytelling and a different kind of storyteller. But it's been, it's been, a, it's been a great ride in TV over this last 17 years. has really grown. Uh, within the company, when I got here to launch the scripted area, it was zero revenue. This year will be over six hundred million. Oh my gosh! Uh, and that's starting to, you know, it's it's still nowhere near the size of our feature film business, but it is a meaningful part of the company and the corporate contribution and, and growing all the time with this kind of golden or platinum age of television that's uh, it's expanding before our very eyes. So, when you joined Lionsgate, was it a different kind of company? And you guys sort of said, "We want to be the company reinventing networks." Like, how did this phenomenon yeah, occur? I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll tell you. When I joined the company, it was very small, probably about twenty-five employees. It was a Canadian. Uh, it, it had just gone public as a small Canadian media company that had cobbled together a film library from Quebec with a stage facility in Vancouver and some American uh, distribution assets and was kind of launching itself in this very indie film space. And some early movies that got off the ground and got attention for Lionsgate were Gods and Monsters and American Psycho and Monsters Ball. And then eventually, you know, we kind of rounded a corner and kind of made it into the the, the, the big time, if you will, in the movie world by distributing and releasing uh, a Best Picture winner, um, Crash. Uh, what happened is I was there about two years, um, and after about two years when I was there, John Feldheimer and Michael Burns joined the company. John had run Sony as the chairman of Sony Television for nine years and had previously been at New World and, and had a big success um, at New World Television that Sony ultimately acquired. And uh, Michael Burns had, had, had been a, uh, an entertainment finance guy and they knew each other well and were friendly and then cobbled together some investors to kind of recapitalize Lionsgate, which was small and, and struggling, although it had some great artistic successes. And they came in and John became the CEO and really started to run it in a way um, more like a traditional studio in which the various different people running different small businesses started collaborating and working together. And this, that same spirit has continued ever since. And one company at a time, John and Michael started putting together acquisitions, Trimark, Artisan, Mandate, Summit, uh, on the movie side to really grow our breadth and our capacity in the movie business, which really put us into, um, you know, competing directly with the majors. Um, and so we have been called in certain circles, the seventh major, we've been called the mini major, we've got a whole bunch of different descriptions of what we do, but we do all the same things that the big studios do, but we do it, I think, with a with a smaller headcount, clearly, and a more nimble uh, attitude. And, 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 and TV was a 
non-acquisition strategy that was growing the shows, uh, the business one show at a time. We started with one and then it was two. Now we have over 30. And um, without really acquiring things along the way, although now we're at a size when you know acquisitions are more interesting because the company is much bigger and the stock has been in a pretty nice place. So that's something that we, we look at and consider. Um, but generally, we've kind of done it brick by brick in the TV side. It's just so interesting. So did AMC turn to you and say, we are looking for a show that will change the game for us because they knew you would do it for them? Well, in a way, yes. Um, the, the person running programming at AMC at that time, um, uh, Rob Sorcher, was, had been at Fox Family, the very first place we ever transacted and sold a show to. We had been given a couple shows to produce and to finance, co-finance by PaxNet, which is now uh, uh, something else. Uh, uh, but but, but um, at the time, the first thing we ever sold, we sold to Fox Family. And Rob had just become the head of programming. We did a series for him called Higher Ground. And a really great little show, a drama, very big budgeted relative to what Fox Family had been doing. If you remember, that was the era of like Sweet Valley High and Shows that were probably, I don't know, three or 400,000 an episode. So this was their first million-dollar budget show, which back then was pretty significant. We shot in Canada. We discovered Hayden Christensen, who became Anakin Skywalker, as a side note. On nice. That, that nice. Show. And some other really great actors that went on to do amazing things. And we did one season, and Rob uh, left, and then eventually uh, AB, Fox Family sold to Disney to become ABC Family. Rob wound up at USA for a little while. Then he was in New York. And I, I remember him saying, I'm going to go work at AMC to do programming. And I thought, wow, that's just, you know, running movies, but okay. And, um, and then he called one day saying, we've got this script um, from Matt Weiner, who was on The Sopranos called Mad Men. And we need a studio partner. And would you be interested and would you read it? And Sandra Stern, our, who is our president in the TV group, uh, was the COO at that time. And she got a separate call from ICM, from an agent saying, would you read this script? So a few different people were coming with inbounds, and frankly, they didn't really know anybody in the business, and I don't think any of the majors were that interested in working with them. And um, and we read it and really fell in love with it, but even so, uh, figuring out a financial model was difficult. Expensive show, period. A network that was not proven in terms of selling to the international markets. If you go to the market and say, I've got an HBO show that, that commands a certain price, and if you go to the market and say, I'm coming to you with a show from a network you've never heard of, you have a challenge. So as it turned out, we couldn't put, to, we couldn't put together the financing to really make that, that pilot that they were intending to make. They, they really could find no partner. They made it on their own. And when they finished it, they brought it back to us first, uh, which was great. And Rob has been an amazing friend and, uh, and said, will you, will you reconsider now that we have something to show you? And when we did have something to show, to our international distribution team uh, and the whole company, frankly, everybody moved very quickly. Sandra flew to New York, made the deal in a day, and the rest is history. But yeah. but it's not easy for a new network, you know, in a world back then when people were not sure if cable was even a great business to do originals. So it was really the confluence of a lot of different things that came together to make to make Madman, and I'm sure. There are similar themes um, bubbling up for Orange and all these other shows that just seem to become, you know, 
classic seminal hits and also, you know, um, launch new networks. And we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about what, what trends you see are happening in the business that have created what what many are calling, and, and you sort of alluded to, sort of a new golden age of television, plus now added on to this all these new digital platforms. So when we come back, more with Kevin, Lionsgate, and the Tech Cat. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. And welcome back. And we are chatting with Kevin Beggs, who's the chairman of Lionsgate Television Group. And Kevin was giving us the inside scoop on how Madman came to be and how it sort of launched uh, what is now a historical run for AMC. And you were giving me a little insider scoop also on, on Matt Wiener, the showrunner, how he sort of came to be with Madman, because I had always heard the story that he had Madman brewing in his head for years and years and years. What, what exactly happened with him? Well, what, what, what he has shared with me and many other <clears throat> 
people over the years and uh, and his reps and kind of verified in a bunch of different places is that um, you know he was uh, so Matt Weiner was writing uh, on Becker uh, a comedy that was being produced by Paramount I think CBS with Ted Danson and I think making probably a very good living as a comedy writer in, in a time when comedy was particularly lucrative and um, and you know if you were on a show particularly going 22 episodes a year you could do really well. I don't think his heart was in it, even though he's incredibly funny and Mad Men is in, infused with comedy, which is why one of the reasons why I think it just stands out. But but I I think deep down he wanted to do something closer um, to Mad Men or ultimately Sopranos and things that he's worked on in the drama side. So he um, talked to his agents and they said, "Look, you know, you're in the comedy side. You know, why don't you spec something, write something." We'll send it around, see what happens. So Mad Men was a spec that he wrote. Um, and I'm not sure where, where, what happened with the agency side, but his manager, Keith Addis, as, as Keith told me, got it to uh, David Chase, who was running The Sopranos, which had been on for three or four seasons at that point. They were in the middle of that, as I recall, the long break. And if you remember, there was an 18-month break between Sopranos seasons. Yeah, it was, it was painful to all the fans. Super long. So... <laughs> Uh, I believe what happened is that Matt, you know, evidently David was FedEx on a Friday night. By Saturday morning, David Chase called back and said, I want to hire him, move him to New Jersey Monday. And Matt went to New Jersey and worked on The Sopranos for multiple seasons and got an Emmy and, uh, you know, really established himself as a phenomenal drama writer and, and learned, you know, the, the inner workings of a drama room from one of the greatest showrunners out there. When that all wound up, it was that was the time that AMC was looking around. Rob Sorcher, his head of development, Christina Wayne, were contemplating getting into scripted, who was around, who was available, you know, that had the prestige that they were looking for. And I, I'm not sure how, who reached out to who, but one way or another, Matt and that script got onto their radar and that's when the whole process began, which I alluded to in the last sec- segment, in which Rob then went to look for a studio partner, and the rest is history. So that's that's how it came together. So it was about when it was all said and done, it was something like, you know, five or six years. Yeah, in the past making. the point that yeah. he even wrote it, that it even found the moment. Yeah, these these things next. don't happen overnight. Well, uh, all, looking at sort of the industry now, you know, stepping aside because again, Mad Men is something that people think was just born, but in terms of trends and other things that are bubbling up in the in the industry, what what kind of trends are you seeing because I know you guys are now creating a lot of content for Netflix and all these other platforms. So what are you sort of seeing bubbling up across the board in this new landscape of television? Well, the big, 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 super big trend is the move away from closed-ended, standalone, procedural, you know, crime, medical, legal franchises um, and toward more serialized, novelistic storytelling. And that, and that really began in cable, which was not as reliant on the, uh, the overnight rating. It had a dual revenue stream at a time when broadcast had one revenue stream of both affiliate fees and advertising. And, and, and people could take longer journeys into shows and settle in with them like a great book 
and you didn't need the flashbang wow of, did you watch last night? That really was what HBO began uh, more than anybody and that other cablers, pay and basic, emulated. And then it's kind of through technology been brought to its ultimate fruition via streaming and the ability to binge watch or with VOD if you're watching it through you know traditional cable and broadcast. But that, that ability to, to watch something in two or three episodic bursts, to go back, to rewatch, like a great book, it's really the best example, um, that changed everything. And that's why there's been this explosion of shows in cable and streaming that are all very focused on kind of creative acclaim, uh, noisiness, word of mouth, uh, have you seen uh, that kind of auteur-driven show? And we've been very fortunate to be in business with people like Matt Weiner and Jenji Cohan and Clyde Phillips and others that really, you know, kind of live in that, that environment and, and are in the business for that only. Of course, the financial uh, windfalls have come after the creative success, but no one goes into cable or one of these shows thinking this is going to be a moneymaker. Right, right. You go into a Law & Order or a CSI or any of those kinds of shows and say, you know, not only am I going to get a massive audience, I'm, you know, if I do this right, I'm going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, and that is the goal. And when broadcast was one revenue stream as opposed to now with multiple, they had to have that. But, the, you know, everything's changed. Netflix has been at the forefront of that. But even, even long before Netflix was a twinkle in Reed Hastings' eye, HBO and others were pioneering this kind of show that told the story over multiple episodes as opposed to wrapping it up in one. That is exporting itself around the world more quickly via streaming technology, which is why Netflix has got, you know, it's, it's right. everywhere. And, and it's a little yeah. slower to take hold with free to free to air broadcasters around the world that are you know advertiser driven just like our own, but it is it's the shows that people are watching, and the ones that they're talking about, and if you you know read the trades or even just you know people or us or anything, the kind of shows that find their way into the the cultural conversation are all of those types of shows. So and that's that's a that's a big sort of swing and a different direction. So let let me ask you, because I had this experience. So I was watching um, Outlanders, which, you know, is right in my sort of demo sweet spot, right? Like hot guys and period pieces. And uh, (laughs) and I I certainly love time travel. I mean, to me, it was missing a spaceship. Otherwise, it was like the greatest show ever. (laughs) But what my experience was, I watched it on the iTunes, you know, the iTunes portion of the first chunk of it. And then I ultimately subscribed to Stars, which is like what they want, so that I could watch the rest of it. But what I found that was sort of, you know, slightly irritating was that in the app, I had to watch pre-rolls and post-rolls uh, from the last episode so that the, the non-linear app experience was still based on a linear viewing mm-hmm. experience of coming back next week and seeing last week's cliffhanger. So are you are you guys thinking at all about, well, what is the new user experience now that we don't need cliffhangers? You know, what is the what is an episode now? Yeah, well, we look, you know, we make the shows and ultimately deliver them to the various clients, all of whom have different environments. You know, I watch a lot of Netflix. 
I've been watching uh, a lot of Amazon. They, you know, they all have variations on a theme, but really those two and Hulu also, where we have a bunch of shows, they immediately just put you into the next episode and you can, you can accelerate it. I mean, Netflix just starts it with, 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 without asking. Amazon invites you to press, you know, do you want the next one? I think Hulu does the same. But none of those kind of give you recaps. Um, I haven't seen the stars. Uh, at, but, but, but in general, people just want to move right into story. We, yeah. we, we had a whole thing on weeds. And Genji Cohen, again, as usual, you know, way ahead of the curve on everything. Uh, after the first three seasons, she wanted to um, do away with the main title, opening sequence. And, you know, it was a real, we really, like, struggled. We debated it. Oh, my gosh. You know, the, the main title, you know, as a, as a child of the 70s and 80s and, and then growing into adulthood in my 90s and on, you know, the main title was kind of the palate cleanser that prepared you to remind you why you liked the show so much. So by the time it started, you were kind of in a cheers frame of mind, let's just say. Right, right. Or Friends or, you know, Quantum Leap or whatever the show was. I go back to Six Million Dollar Man. You know, that they, they, they retold you the whole story yeah. in 30 seconds of Sets what happened to Colonel yeah. Austin. And so it just my instinct was, you know, Genji, how do you get rid of this great iconic main title when we're singing little boxes? You've had everybody from like Bob Dylan to, you know, Pete Seeger do a version of the Elvis Costello do a Weeds main title because every week was a different artist singing. Right, I loved that. A great thing. Oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Blah, blah, you know, and she just said, no, no, no. We moved out of Agrestic. It doesn't even make sense anymore. They, now they moved to San Diego. There's no little boxes. And she did something much more creative, which was every every week she had a, a main title card that was tied thematically to the episode, and you were kind of playing a little bit of what you're going to do this week. It worked out great. As much as we missed the song, it really worked. But it, frankly, it was already kind of precipitate, you know, anticipating a move toward just get me into story. Right, right. And I think that's where people are. And again, you know, when you think about a great book that you're reading. You know, unless you are somebody that wants to go back and read the last page of the last chapter just to refresh yourself, generally you're just pushing ahead, going more, 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 more story. And that's what people want. They want more story. They're not getting that story in theaters in the way they used to, based on the kind of movies that are being made, big tentpole, usually action, you know, uh, com uh, comic book character stuff. But that kind of discerning, grown-up uh there, the ordinary peoples of the world and movies that might make you really think and reconsider your entire life, that stuff is in TV right now. And people don't want, they don't want to, they don't want a preamble and they don't want a, an epilogue. They just want the story. story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I found it, uh, it took me out, you know, because I was in the zone. And especially if you're binging, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but you're absolutely right because I actually wanted my husband to speak in a Scottish accent for a while after <laughs> I binged Outlander because cognitively I was so in that world because, you know, I was watching like eight hours of it one weekend or something, something crazy. Yep. Um, but it is really powerful. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of people, I think even Spielberg was recently quoted in the Times just talking about how it's all about television now. You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, he's been, he's had a he's had a, a a toe arm leg in TV for a long time, but they're only upping their 
involvement. Even going back to the big, uh, the big ten-part mini that he did at Sci-Fi early days, right? Taken. Yep. Yep. Um, and just exploring that whole thing, which was you know basically so much stuff that, in a way, he couldn't get into Close Encounters, you know, into one big movie. Yep. Yep. Uh, it found its way into this whole other mythology. Um, and that's the other thing we're finding. We're doing a lot, frankly, in tandem with our feature group, which is so exciting. And, and we're optioning big books and big franchise properties that only would have been in the province of features before. The creators and writers of these books are interested in both TV and movie. They're not sure which one goes first, or maybe we're on a parallel track, or we're oh, taking, or so, we're taking so the worlds. Sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi genre mostly. And you may be taking aspects or maybe an entire backstory that's just one chapter out of 50, but that might be the setting for an entire series. Well, that's so cool. Well, when we come back, um, th- that's a- absolutely fascinating because you're talking about the breaking down of what traditionally has been pretty pretty strong silos um, in, in um, at networks. But when we come back, I want to find out how do you keep up with all these changes? You know, a lot of uh, executives I talk to say it's their kids or, uh, you know, they do a lot of reading or they attend a lot of conference. So I'd love to hear you know, you're overseeing so many different things. How do you, how do you keep up with all this? When we come back, more with Kevin Beggs and Lionsgate and the Tech Cat. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody, and we're chatting it up with Kevin Beggs of Lionsgate Television. And Kevin is really sitting in the middle of this historical time in television and all these great 
stories he has about the mythology, the new mythology of what's happening in in, uh, the, in the industry. It's just it's just happening to you. We were just saying you're just it, it's not like you're doing anything on purpose. I mean, you're working hard and you're really smart, but it's also just happening. So my question to you is, how do you keep up with all of this stuff? I mean, do you have millennials working for you? Do you have young kids? Like, wh- how do you feel connected to all of it? Yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> so we do. We have a lot of millennials working here. Um, we keep our ears and eyes wide open to everything they're talking about and experiencing. I have a 16-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. They're constantly Instagramming their way through life, and um, and and they're 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 experiencing content. You know, TV is something that they occasionally will turn on usually for in my son's case a sporting event but he's on his iphone just youtubing during the whole game i'm the one saying look at that replay check it out and oh yeah yeah uh, you know i'm watching you know uh beauty pie or any number of things um and then through their circle of friends they discover shows he's obsessed with dance moms <laughs> um, and by virtue of him becoming obsessed with dance moms he, you know, figured out how to download the Lifetime app, which is kind of funny thinking about a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. Uh, downloading the Lifetime app and putting it onto our, you know, array of app buttons on the on the television in addition to on the iPad because he wants to watch wherever he is. And, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm, I'm in there pitching and doing a lot of projects and in the A&E networks all the time. And it just gives me no end of enjoyment to think about him binging through dance moms and, and bemoaning the fact that he's out of episodes uh and yet never turning on a television but he's you know well aware of the brand he knows lifetime and he can tell you what it's about oh, that's so uh, and my daughter is you know catching up on on series like supernatural which he got my son into until he made him afraid at night but they but you know that show i don't think it's on anymore it's on for like 11 or 12 years but she you know for her it's a whole new experience uh, you know me telling her about the history of the WB and then the UPN and then merging to become C, it's all irrelevant. Like she would care less. Uh, she thinks it's a really good show and, and she moved from that, interestingly enough, to Criminal Minds. And yeah. I'm sure she would be hard pressed if I asked her right now, Catherine, um, what channel is CBS? She could not give you the number. But does she, she, does she understand CBS or does well, that? She would know what it is, but you know, I don't think there would be any part of her that thinks like, oh, I gotta go turn on channel two right now. The, the way we still do um, and think about it as a position, a number, and is it a low number, a high number? You know, she's just watching the shows. I doubt if she knows that it's a CBS show. Do, does she, um, are they um, leveraging all the short form platforms like Snapchat and Vine? Yeah, too? yeah, yeah. Snapchat, I don't know about Vine. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, they say is for old people. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's for, that's for mom and dad. Um, but um but yeah, they, they're, it's a, you know, all of those, uh, all of the other ones. But so Instagram, right now, Instagram becomes a really important one because they're both musical. My daughter also is, a, is really big on SoundCloud where she puts all her original music and compositions. That's so interesting. So are you then coming in and saying to folks, we need to do something on Snapchat? I mean, does that drift into um, some of your strategy? Well, we, you know, look, we've... We have a really smart young executive here that, that came on about two years ago named Jordan Gilbert who came out of digital at Yahoo and Universal and, and really, really is immersed in the world of YouTube uh, creators and online creators. And and we brought him in just to say, be in this world, scout around, find stuff. And the, the first company he brought back to us 
uh, is run by a guy and kind of a collective of filmmakers around him, Freddie Wong. They have Rocket Jump is their brand and their website. And their, their big success, amongst many things, on YouTube was migrating kind of a short-form series called Video Game High School into a long-form series, which ultimately has been on Netflix and sold around the world and done really well for them. And we got to know those guys, and that gave us a, a kind of a nice window into YouTube creators uh, that are into more narrative storytelling. And we made an overall deal with them in the TV space to kind of take some of their ideas that they were working on for some time and move them into traditional TV or event streaming platforms. And out of the gate, we, they sold uh, a show that's going to come on sometime in the first quarter on Hulu called Rocket Jump the Show, which is kind of a docu-series following them as they make their short, uh, their action shorts. And it's kind of episodes built around the making of each one. I think it's probably six or eight episodes that will come on to Hulu. I've seen the first two. Really fun. And the shorts in, uh, play at the very end. And then you see the movie that they've been making. The second thing we're working on with them, and we're close to uh, closing a deal at a, at a platform, is a pure scripted, an anthology, kind of a 21st century online homage to The Twilight Zone. Oh, cool. And that's they're really excited about that. That's called Dimension 404 or D404, which is kind of a, a nod to that that uh, um, message that you get if you ever come to kind of a crashed or, or, or de defunct website that says D404. And the notion is, you know, in this online, you know, metaverse, you know, who's out there and what's going on and kind of twists on technology and kind of cautionary moral tales, not unlike the Rod Serling classic. So that's going to be a pure scripted thing. And they have other shows behind that. So that we look at and say, look, what, what can we bring to the equation? You know, we're not YouTube creators. We're, we're not those innovators. But we, as an, as an independent television studio, can sell to, um, you know, 30 or 40 suppliers. And we probably took Freddie and his team to 15 or more to pitch Dimension 404. And, you know, the usual things are out there. Oh, anthologies are hard, this, that. So they're... So it became a couple of places that we honed in on, uh, but but the, the places where we where we're going to wind up and where we think we're going to do it is a place that's very millennial focused, and they are hoping, and I think they're right, that Freddie's six or seven million YouTube subscribers are just going to go wherever he goes, and uh, if they go to a traditional outlet to watch this uh, interesting uh, anthology show, it's going to be great. And and in this arena. We can offer Freddie and his guys a lot of expertise. First of all, selling it to the various players, why we should go to them, how they're going to produce a long-form scripted thing uh, in ways that they haven't done before, and you know, with an actual kind of traditional budget and figuring out a writer's room and other things that are, would be new to them that are kind of instinctive to us. And you know, and I think if we do it right, and along the way they got signed by a major agency, you know, they may be, you know basically coming to the market with a hot big new series learning kind of as they went uh, from kind of these grassroots beginnings as these, you know, scrappy YouTube creators and they still do both. And we think that's kind of exciting. We can offer something to them in that equation and they can offer us a lot uh, in return. And you, that, that model that you're talking about to me sounds very much like what MGM used to be, which is nurturing stars. Like you're literally managing his career in a sense. Mm -hmm. is, is that well, what we're certainly part of it. I mean, they're pretty self-reliant, so they don't need a ton of help. But, but it's just in a funny way, you get into what you do. Uh, you know, I'm in the television niche. Other people are in movies. Other people are in theater. People are in digital. And there's not a lot of crossover. 
You know, you're kind of in your silo. And what's exciting about this new content-driven era is that stuff can migrate. But to migrate, you actually have to be known. And to be known, you actually, in this case, got to show up and sit in front of people who may not know anything about what you do and kind of tell them what you do. And then they talk to their kids and they say, Freddie, whoa, oh my God, I can't tell you how many people that we would go take these meetings with that started the meeting by saying, I'm here at my house today because I'm meeting Freddie Wong, the guy behind Video Game High School. Right, right. Although they hadn't watched it themselves. They checked in with someone and, you know, it was going to be kind of a red letter day uh, for them to come home and say they met with Freddie. And that was great. And I think, by the way, that goes in all kinds of ways. Movie people going to TV, TV people moving to movies and vice versa. You sometimes got to get out of your lane, out of your comfort zone. And when you do, Really interesting things can happen. Do do you um, do you think that uh, what's going to happen with uh, the current millennial crowd is as they age, they're going to move to longer form with their stars? I think you know. I, I think they're going to follow what they. I, I think if the story supports it and they are engaged for twenty two to forty five minutes, they will go. You know, if it's filler and they, you know, I think this. This audience is so honest and, you know, in, in the, in the one-click world when you can be out of something immediately, if it's not good or doesn't capture your attention, there's no reason for you to stick around. All of us grew up kind of like, well, there's, a, there's three channels and there's nothing <laughs> else on and my alternative is homework or this TV movie on NBC. I guess I'll stick around and watch the TV movie because it's a little better than doing your homework. It's just such a different environment. So, so. You have to have the goods. If it's not there, it's not there. There's obviously a whole class of YouTube creators that are more kind of lifestyle brand driven and, and more, you know, they're not into long form narrative. They're really into kind of stream of consciousness about what's going on with them or trends. But Freddie and his team who, you know, are huge movie fanatics and grew up watching, you know, Spielberg and Zemeckis and, you know, they can quote any genre movie at any time about anything. You know, they're, they're long form is interesting to them. But they're not slowing down on making their shorts. The shorts are fantastic, and they, and they have you know a very fan base as well. But that that's that is insane. Well, um, we're gonna have to take a break in a minute. But one of the things that I was thinking would be fun is if you could give us the scoop on any upcoming shows that are uh, that are going to be launching, or any new projects, or anything that. Uh, you're involved in with Lionsgate that uh, we're instantly going to become fans of because obviously all these shows are so seminal now when they drop. Um, it seems like the world stops um, literally um, literally when, when they launch. So um, when we come back more with Kevin Beggs, Lionsgate, and hopefully uh, some exciting scoop on some new shows. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology Storytech, a boutique agency empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message engage your customers and raise the bottom line how do you track and exploit the trends how do you stay ahead of industry disruption and how do you maximize profit from content from strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. 
If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. And welcome back. And we are chatting with Kevin Beggs, who's the chairman of Lionsgate Television Group. And he was just about to drop some serious scoop for us on some upcoming new shows that I think will probably be some of the shows that uh, everyone's talking about for the next couple of months, as it seems that all the shows that you're dealing with are. Um, I mean, God, what a fantastic run Lionsgate is having. So, so tell, us, uh, tell us about some of these uh, special shows. Okay, thank you. Um, um, well, just premiered our second season a week ago of Manhattan, which is on WGN America. Ooh. Uh, the first season's episodes can be found on Hulu. A great uh, period drama about the mad dash to create uh, an atomic bomb at Los Alamos uh, during World War II. The kind of amazing drama and spy craft that was floating in and around that facility. The kind of government story that was being sold to the scientists that this was all about beating Hitler to the bomb and, 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 and bringing an end to the Holocaust when in fact it really was uh, more oriented toward the, the, the war in the Pacific and coming up with a, a military solution to what people expected would be a drawn out three or four year, you know, conflict even after the war was essentially over with Japan in terms of uh, preeminence in the Pacific. So a really great show called Manhattan for the Manhattan Project and one we're so proud of. That's a, a so season to, uh, the second episode of, of this week was on uh, last night, and uh, you've got eight more to go for this second season. Um, another show that premiered two weeks ago, and today, happily, was just announced that we got our second season pickup, which is a very quick turnaround, is a, is a single-camera comedy from Jason Reitman, a young writer named Xander Lehman, and a showrunner named Liz Tiglar called Casual. Uh, this is a show about contemporary dating in Los Angeles in the kind of 30 and 40 something crowd. It's about a woman who's coming out of a divorce and she and her 16 year old daughter move in with her single brother, uh, who's kind of a bachelor and kind of a playboy. And and he runs and founded a, uh, an online dating site (laughs) and he kind of espouses to his some, well, somewhat traumatized sister, but also a little bit more conservative. And she's a therapist, by the way, trying to save other families, but uh, not keeping her own together. 
but but she, he's espousing the kind of you know hookup dating and Tinder and casual and all these other things plus the, his own website and she's somewhat horrified but of course it wades in a little trepidatiously and to great comedic results and the irony of course is that the 16 year old daughter is probably more mature and balanced than both of these guys yeah i love it um so that's a really fun show called casual you can see episodes uh on hulu weekly they premiered week one with the first two and then this uh second week was week three episode three and then and then thereafter they're rolling them out weekly um anyway they, they picked it up today and even just before our, our little um, session started, the um, press release hit. So we're really excited about that. And we'll start a second season soon. And if you're a fan of Jason Reitman and his, uh, his body of work, you will love this show. Let, let me ask you something, Kevin. Do you know intrinsically when you see a show that it's going to be a hit? Or is it more about the people who are making it? Or do you just get a sense now, now that you've been doing this for a while and, and you know, you've seen what, what's hitting? Do you, do you understand? Do you have that vibe? Um, well, you know, look, auspices are amazing, but that's not, it's never a true guarantee that the, the show is good uh, because there's been plenty of amazing auspices around all kinds of great shows that were hyped and didn't come to fruition. So it really is about the idea and the concept and the take, if you will, or the thematic exploration that the writer wants to, uh, you know, go into, you know, when Genji Cohen talked to Showtime and then to us about weeds and she wanted to get, you know, you know, under the skin of kind of the upper middle class aesthetic and lifestyle and what happens when you maybe tumble out of that. And, and then also kind of, I think examine kind of Americans schizophrenic relationship with drugs, you know, that seemed to me like a really interesting thing worth exploring. I grew up in Marin County, which is kind of the hotbed of kind of cultural and crazy innovations from hot tubs to, you know, serial (laughs) serial marriages and all kinds of different things. And that just seems so timely for me from growing up, you know, half, in a, half on a commune and half in a regular house in the suburbs. So to me, oh I my was gosh, like, that's a whole radio show right there. Well, that's a, that's a different show, but I was sold the minute Genji mentioned the idea and I thought that's loud. That's noisy. That's going to resonate. And, and so you, you never know. There's been plenty of shows that we thought just were unbelievably amazing. that didn't quite, you know, uh, go the distance. You know, we loved boss, which we did two seasons of for stars and Kelsey Grammer got a great golden globe. Stars didn't pick up a third season. I think subsequently they expressed that you know they, they might have done it a different way, uh, had you know they thought, thought about it a little longer or circumstances changed. But so there's some missed opportunities. But generally, it's a big bold idea that you can really get your head around, and you kind of have to extrapolate internally. Like, will this travel internationally, which is a big part of our revenue? Will this get a lot of press and a lot of writer uh, reporters and critics writing about and bloggers thinking about, you know, you know, w- will it be noisy in this market of three or 400 scripted shows in the U S alone, putting aside the international shows, you know, stuff really has to break out. It has to be noisy and loud and get attention. It doesn't mean that the, the show has to be over the top or nutty or crazy. It's just the idea has to, be singular enough for people to say, oh, that's the show about. Oh, that, you know, breaking, that's the guy, the, the, the chemistry professor who starts selling meth. And, and when you can start 
telling people about it in those short form elevator pitch versions, uh, you know you're on to something. And and uh, so you know as as as, as in depth that these shows become, incredibly complex with rich narratives and lots of layers and theme upon theme upon theme, the ones that still break out still can be boiled down to a, a sentence or two. And, and when you can't do that, it's a lot harder to get people's attention and to get them focused and to, and to plug in. Sometimes they will. You know, a show like The Wire, which probably has had more fans off the air than it ever had on HBO, very hard to define that. I'd be, I'd be challenged to do it in less than a paragraph. Yet, over time, because of HBO Go and video and being it's doing, it, yeah, it's doing well. It's right. a classic, and people have discovered it and rediscovered it, but, but you know, would never be something that would immediately, probably out of the gate, you know, get that kind of attention. Thinking about, like, a Game of Thrones, you had an audience of fans of that book that flocked to that, and then it grew and grew and grew based on the quality and the word of mouth. So you need something, and that's why books right now and articles and and, and graphic novels and comics are so in demand uh, because you need some leg up uh, or even movie title adaptations, movies that are going into TV series. Uh, and we have a few of those that, that helps you, you know, break out of the clutter and at least get a sampling. And if you get a sampling and people like it, they'll stick around. So is, is it now, um, are the deals and the contracts that you're making with the Hulus and the Netflixes and the Amazons, are they different every time because the windowing is continuously changing? And the, yeah. so yes, it's just are. new each time? Every time that's new. So as I mentioned, Sandra Stern, our president of the TV group, who also oversees all the business affairs, uh, every one of those is a, is a from scratch negotiation. Oh, because, you know, it's, she's fond of saying like on, on any network show, uh, you know, it's two phone calls and you'll have a deal because the precedence in the 40 or 50 years of doing it, you know, everybody kind of knows and you get this and I get that and you get these rights and I get these and we do this. And every one of these, you know, the Netflix deal was a nine month, um, a nine month process after we sold it. God, I mean, it's a lawyer's heyday, but it's so difficult. I mean, I just know friends of mine who are you know, selling to people they've never sold to before, you know, and when the brand comes in and then who has it for the first year and then who has it for the second year. And it's just so interestingly complex. Now, yeah. Kevin, where can folks hear from you again? We're going to wrap up soon, but are you speaking anywhere? Are you blogging? I mean, uh, where can we get some more of your insights? I'm not blogging anywhere. I'm doing something in New York in a few weeks, uh, but I think that's an investor conference. <laughs> um, uh, I will keep you posted. I'm not sure at the, what next thing I will be around, but you know, you can count on seeing me at NAPTI and NIPCOM and NIPTV and uh, at the LA screenings in which we show our, our, our product to the international buyers around the world. Um, but there will be, I'm sure there will be something, but, um, but we're online, you know, linesgate.com. You can find a fantastic website that has a whole bunch of links to Great. various press and articles. And, uh, you know, I'm around. Fantastic conversation with Kevin Beggs. I learned so much today. Uh, chairman of Lionsgate TV Group. So check out lionsgate.com to see what other fabulous shows are going to be launching. And we'll see you guys in a week on the Tech Cat Show. This is Lori H. Schwartz. It's been fun. And, boy, did I learn a lot today. Thank you so much, Kevin. My pleasure. Looking forward to talking again. See you guys next week.
Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 